I'm having a hard time um, keeping my breath. Yes, exactly. So sorry. <laughs> um, okay, so Jesus said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So we all know why. Of course they did. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So you see his first calling of disciples and then immediately a very clear definition of what he did in his ministry. That is absolutely, without doubt, the pattern for all his disciples that would follow him. And any Jew that reads this would know this. And we maybe wonder why Jews aren't sure about our Messiah Jesus because they're looking at us. Maybe in the day that his disciples are looking just like him, they'll go, mm, he is the Messiah. Maybe. Um, okay, fast forward to, so I'm just kind of trying to posit this in a way as moving the conversation from does Jesus heal. Um, I was going to have you break into, like, have a little quiet time and just pick a scripture in the Gospels of Jesus healing or of Jesus encountering somebody. I was going to have you look at who he healed, why he healed him, who brought him to be healed? What happened when he healed him? But I'm going to give you the cliff notes of where that conversation might go if we all had it. The healings each time will look different. The person with faith each time will look different. Sometimes nobody has faith. Jesus just heals. Sometimes the friends of the person have faith. Sometimes the person has all this faith. Sometimes um, the person's been looking for healing for like 20 years and then gets it, and Jesus, you know, thinking of the woman of, uh, with the ble- bleeding thing, it was 12 years, she reaches out because she's sure that if she touches the side of his robe where it says the Messiah will come with healing in his wings and the side of his robe were his wings, she obviously knows who he is, believes in him, and goes and grabs this, and he just feels power go out from him. He is not even aware that somebody's looking for healing from him, and it happens. You know, there's just all these different ways that healing happens, Um, But I want to move us from the question of does Jesus heal, because I think the answer is just so clearly yes, to looking at where we struggle with that in our real life and taking that title, Jesus, healer of the whole person, and looking at the question... Do we know him as this? So I'm not saying does he heal. We, I think ultimately we could all agree he does. And, and the, to, to maybe agree with that, either you're looking at scripture or you're expanding the word that is a little bit loaded, healing. You know, we all believe that God's given doctors wisdom and that healing happens. If, when you cut and you bleed, when someone, something cuts you, not you cut. <laughs> Some people do cut. Um, if you are cut, does your body heal? Does yes. anybody in here have an issue with their body not healing? Because there may be a few in the world that can't heal. Okay, 
you heal. You are made to heal. Like, this is not a question. It's just not even on the table. Healing happens every day, truly. Um, but let's expand this because the, the problem comes in that this, this word has been loaded by people's bad experiences, good experiences, bad teaching, good teaching, all kinds of things. So healing, often people want it to mean an instantaneous miracle. So I'm not using the word healing for the word instantaneous miracle. I'm going to use the word instantaneous miracle for an instantaneous miracle. Um, healing is a process. I think, I think that really when you look at the word from lots of different sides, from the medical side of therapy, therapeuo is the Greek word that's used a lot in the New Testament for healing. Um, it's, it's a process. It's just a, and, and we know that. Um, the other word that's used in the New Testament, and y'all know this, I know we've talked about it in here before, is sozo. And this word does us a favor to the way that our modern world has kind of struggled with the word healing, especially when it comes to Jesus. And it reminds us that this is not just about the body. When, we, when you see something that is separating um, natural from spiritual, good from bad, right from wrong, physical, spirit from flesh. That's something that is not coming out of the Jewish Jesus and the, his, uh, the Hebrew history that we know because Hebrews deeply believe that everything is connected. Uh, what you see is connected to what you don't see. What you don't see is connected to what you do see and you cannot separate them out. Everything is spiritual. Everything is full of God's breath. Every, there, there are things too that happen that that are an evidence that we live in a broken world where people have been given will and they hurt one another and they make choices out of their strength to hurt and harm. If I have the ability to hurt you, that's a powerful thing. God actually gave me the power to do it and it breaks his heart that I chose to hurt somebody that I love, that he loves. But now there's a mess that I made. That, that is, that mess that I made, say I like really wounded somebody emotionally. That emotional thing is not contained. It's not Casey went and hurt somebody and that just made this little emotional mess. It can cause physical distress. It can cause later on illness for myself if I can't forgive myself. I mean, they're all connected and doctors, the medical profession would tell you that. The physical, the, you know, the body's connected to the soul, the soul's connected to the spirit, and they all affect one another. So this word just helps us with that because it's one word, and it's translated three different ways in the English. So we think it's three different words, but it's one word. Healed, saved, delivered. The demoniac was sozoed. The paralytic was sozoed. The man in the middle of the night who was a Pharisee who came to Jesus said, what must I do to be sozoed? He's, they're talking about this big word that is part of our salvation. It's part of our understanding of who Jesus is as healer, as deliverer from things that oppress us and that hold us down. So having said that, um, let's look ahead in John, no, Matthew. Okay, so... Put this conversation of healing on hold, and we're going to go back to a little bit of Jesus and his disciples. So we saw where he calls them. He calls 
people who'd already failed, which is so full of grace and mercy and gives us all confidence. Um, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite portions of scripture is this one. It's in Matthew 16. This is in the middle of those followers that left their nets and started following him. Um, they're like two years in, probably. And it's actually getting close to the time where Jesus will leave them and die. And they do not understand. And I just want to say that because I'm going to read a couple more passages passages where the people who are closest to him, who are those followers who literally have given their life to become like the rabbi, do not get it. And I just want that to pause there for a minute and make that a safe place for us to land today, that we all do not get the fullness of this yet. And that's okay. It's something that is continuing to be revealed, and that's normal for a disciple of Jesus. Okay, so he's taking his disciples. Remember this little drawing where we're at the Sea of Galilee? And he spends 80% of his time, you know, he didn't have a car, so of course he spent his time in this two-mile radius. Well, Matthew 16 says... um, In verse 12, it says, They understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They're finishing talking about this under, like something he said about being aware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? So that little one line, when he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, is very loaded. It's not just like, oh, now he's in this town. If you know the map, this is 21 miles over here. And I may be wrong with my direction, but it's 21 miles away. Something like that. So this means that he literally is teaching them in the heart of the the Sadducee and Pharisee area. And he says, follow me. And they take a like two-day hike or a one-day hike to out of the God-fearing, God-loving, very safe, moral, pure, you know, worst thing that happened is little Joseph stole a little fruit from little Benjamin's stand. You know, I mean, it's like, this is a very innocent area to Caesarea Philippi. (laughs) And Caesarea Philippi, different than Caesarea. Caesarea is a totally different place, which confused me for a while. Um, Caesarea Philippi is like debauchery central. Um, It was a station for Roman soldiers, and I wish I had pictures, but there's like this big rock wall that's a cave, and there's niches, niches in it, (laughs) and there's a big, um, it's not even very big, like literally Caesarea Philippi is like this big. But the wall goes across like this area here, and then there's this rock platform. And then there's, there, there, in Jesus' day, there was a river that flowed out of this big rock on the corner. And then there's a, the river keeps on going. And um, it's, it's not huge, but it was like a place where there's just constant party, like the most sensual side of people being given a free reign and a space where that was okay. So like inside the niches, there's like not, you know, (laughs) 
not Jesus, not, 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 not um, images that, of worship, but they, it is a place of worship. That it would be like male physical, um, male phallus. And they would take it out and parade it around and everyone would kiss it. And then there would be copulating with goats on the great day of the festival. Like this is, you think that we live in a day and age that's the worst the world has ever seen. No, we can't. Well, no, we don't. Like junk has been happening all throughout the history of mankind. Um, gross stuff is happening here. Debased stuff is happening here. And it's happening on a pretty massive scale. This is where Jesus marches, maybe even one disciple who's like seven or eight, his seven to about 21-year-old disciples who, are, who have never seen anything like this and their mom does not want them to go see it. <laughs> um, he marches them there. And there's a hillside by it that you can climb up to. Tracy and I sat there together, and Jenny, and my mom. Um, and you, you go up on the hillside. That's really the only place to sit and see it. Everything else is kind of like down in a valley. So the fact that it says he marches them over to Caesarea Philippi, and then he asks them a question, should cause us to go, what did he take them all the way over there? For the first time, probably to say to them what is the lesson that this rabbi which Jesus is a Jewish rabbi would not be teaching at WAG on Thursday mornings he probably <laughs> you know he would be living day in and day out and every lesson that he gives is an object lesson so this is a huge object lesson for Jesus what does he say to him well what he says is something that I know you've heard taught on before if you've been in church at all or if you're reading scripture says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So he asks this huge question of them when he gets there. He says, who do, you, who do they say that I am? And I, I just love letting that question ring for us because we live in a day and age that we have to go, who do people say that God is? Who do people say that Jesus is, especially around this conversation? Because very often people say if you get down to the bottom of it, we say, maybe at best, I don't know. And that's a good and honest answer. I don't know who he is. Or, okay, he's the savior of the world, but if I'm looking at actually who he is, healer, for instance, I might say, one, I don't know, or I might say, no, he's not good. Or I don't, if I'm being honest, I don't know that I know who he is as healer. I don't know that I've known him as healer in my life. We may even be able to say, you know, I've, I've known him as healer to other people, but I don't personally know him as healer. And that's the question I want you to ask this morning is, who is he personally to you? Who has he been to you? So... Even right now, take a minute, and if you've known him as healer of your person, not your friend's person or your mom's person or your you know, teacher's person, but your person, when did you know him as healer, and how did you know him as healer? And if your answer is, I don't know that I do, that's a very good answer. Because if you're trying to make something up, but deep down you're going, I don't know that I do, then I'd rather hear that I don't know that I do. Because that's an honest answer that Jesus can totally respond to. But the fake answer is harder to respond to, right? It's like when you're having a conversation with somebody and they're not 
being honest. Like, how can you even keep on in the conversation? There's no point. So as I continue to talk, I want you to think about this. And if, if your answer is, I don't know that I know him specifically as healer. I want you to just in your heart tell Jesus that. I don't know that I know who you are in this area. And then if you do have, you can say, okay, yeah, well, he's healed me here, and he's healed me here, and I've seen him do this. I do want us to focus on this. Because the truth is, very few of us are fully integrated functioning people. We've all had wounds along the way, and parts of us got very disappointed. Parts of us got very scared for normal reasons. Parts of us made conclusions about God that are simply not accurate, but they're, they're legitimate. They're understandable. You know, as a little kid, I mean, I know this through inner healing, but I, as a little kid, I can go through and tell you things that I really believed, like I really believed I was all alone in this world, that God was not there, and so I better take care of myself. So I became a very responsible, independent person. But it was from this root lie that I'm all alone. And the, in that lie, there was a lot of loneliness, a lot of sorrow, and a lot of feeling unloved. So I might tell you that Jesus loves me, but that part of me did not feel loved by Jesus. Does that make sense? So we might be able to say, I can say, I know Jesus as healer. But I honestly can't say that I know him as healer of the whole person. I know that he is healer of the whole person, but do I know him as healer of the whole person? There's still parts of me that need to discover him as healer. So I'm, that's my ultimate question today is that I'm asking the Holy Spirit to put his finger on for you. Like, Would you be willing this morning to allow Jesus to do an inventory of your whole person? And this doesn't mean you're going to get an instantaneous miracle of healing right now. I, if you need that, I want you to have that. But it's not what we're going after. And I don't think it's always what Jesus is going after. I'm going after saying, Jesus, what part of my person today are you showing me that needs to know you in a new way as healer? So that may be... I mean, this is a huge thing that I'm running across a lot right now, and I think it's just a huge thing for all of us. But there's a part of a lot of us that is very anxious, that struggles with anxiety, that then, because of anxiety also, insecurity is just right there. And then, you know, you function in this for a minute, and all of a sudden you're totally locked down and not who you are because these things overshadow and take over make us very nervous, um, you know, fear. So there's parts of my life that I, I totally believe Jesus is healer of the whole person. But it's clear to me that in this area, this part of me that has been very anxious or that gets very anxious about these certain things needs to be introduced to Jesus as who he is. Let him be who he is to this part of my of, of, of my life. Um, this may not be it for you, but if there is something, um, just write it down if he's bringing something to your mind. I bring this one up because I think that right now we're just in a season of anxiety where it's, it's not really a season of anxiety. 
we're in a good season. God is on the throne and in control, and he is reigning and ruling, and he's good. But on earth, we're in, in the United States, there's all this anxiety. I mean, obviously, the obvious one is politically. But, um, I mean, I probably run into, like, ten people this week that are, like, had a panic attack or anxiety attack. They hadn't had it in years, hadn't had one. Um, dear friend I saw on Monday didn't even look like themselves. It was like, could barely get out words, anxiety. I walked into Christ Healing Center and two of our staff members had had anxiety attacks, not like them, um, over the weekend. Uh, we did a prayer time yesterday in my class and we were just asking the Lord to show us how to pray in general. And like three people came up with the word that we need to like, that anxiety is something people are feeling and we need to release peace. So I, 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 I did put that one for a reason, because I have to believe that if that's coming up this week for me a lot with, with other people, um, it's really something that the Lord wants to expose. And when the Lord exposes something, like when the Lord, when you allow the Lord to do an inventory, he only exposes to heal. He never exposes to shame. He never exposes to leave you disappointed. He only exposes to heal. So if he's bringing something to your mind, he fully intends to heal it. Um, another way I want us to look at this wording, Jesus healer of the whole person. Okay, what parts of my person need to be introduced to Jesus the healer? Or um, something you may need to look at is, is there something you put here other than Jesus as that you're seeking healing of your person. Because it's not, um, it's important to recognize that and go, oh wait, maybe I'm, I'm thinking this thing is gonna be the healer of my whole person and that might be my problem why I'm not healing because I'm actually looking to something that is not healer. <coughs> Um, the other way we can look at this word thing here is um, you may need to ask Jesus to help you understand who you've seen him as. So especially if you have an issue in your life that you feel like you have not experienced healing in. For some of us, we have... We know that he's this in our head, but our experience has been Jesus condemner of the whole person or Jesus shamer, exposer. Um, I mean, ruler, and I mean that in a bad way, uh, like con convictor. Yes, he brings conviction. Yes, he's the ruler of our life. But if they're Jesus finger pointer. Of the, of the whole at the whole person and I, and I say that just because I know for me there, there I think that there's been a lot of time in my faith that I spent feeling like Jesus was actually the finger pointer you know like that's needing healing that need that's sin that needs you know this he was literally this and and I I knew he healed people but I was so caught in feeling like he was convicting or condemning or shaming me that I couldn't get to you know, these are directly opposed to each other. Um, so even scriptures like John 3.16, for God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
for God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. I read that, and I and it's it's good. I mean, that's amazing news. He didn't come in to condemn. He came to sozo. That's what he did. I mean, that's what the whole gospel's about. But in my experience, I felt condemned. So I could read that and go, I don't think I believed in him enough. I, I don't even know if I'm saved. So I'm not even hearing. I'm, I'm hearing my own experience of who I thought Jesus was. So if there's an experience of Jesus that you've had that isn't this, and Jesus is highlighting it to you, then I would just take a minute to go, Jesus, who are you really? And with that, I want to keep reading in Matthew 7, 16. So when Jesus came to this crazy region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So basically they're saying, they're kind of hitting around it, but not really to it, because for the Jews, they, a lot of Jews who were looking for a Messiah to come really did have this understanding that Elijah would return. So a lot of people think Jesus is pretty great, like this guy's got something going on. They saw him healing all these people, but that wasn't a deal for them because a lot of the rabbis healed. Um, I mean, healing happens. God's healing through lots of different people a lot of the times because it's his heart. They're going, you, might, you just might be Elijah. You know, like, and these are even his disciples. Like, they don't even jump out with, you're the same, you, you are the Messiah. They, they're going, people say that you just may be John the Baptist. And I mean, they're probably thinking that's a pretty solid answer. Like, you're, you, you are so close, like you're so good, <laughs> you know, and I really think that's when we think about Jesus as healer, also we get to that point, I think, I really do think that you could heal, I do think it, I, I know nothing's beyond you, you know, you, you can do anything, so I'm not going to put it past you that you could heal in this situation, but, but that's not the same, it's not the same thing, he's not Elijah, come back, he's not John the Baptist. He's not the guy that might be able to heal. That's not who he is. Simon Peter answered, you, well, okay, sorry. They're telling him what other people say, and then Jesus says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And that's such a piercing question. It obviously mattered a lot. This isn't like ABCs. He's going, who do you say I am? And I, that's that's for sure the heart of this lesson is who do, who do you say that he is? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And I'm going to stop there and we'll come back to it. But I want to go back to Messiah really quickly. Jews were looking for a Messiah who would usher in the Messianic age. What was the Messianic age? It was absolutely the age of restoration, redemption, healing, um, goodness. I mean, they, to them, the Messianic age was things are going to change in the physical for the better. It's another reason why people struggled with Jesus a little bit because they wanted him to come and overthrow the Romans. They wanted him to usher in a much better age for the Jews. Now, 
people that got close to Jesus actually found him to be this, which transformed everything, which enters them into the messianic age. So believers who get close to who he really is and know who he really is do walk in a messianic age. Okay, Jesus replied, blessed are you. And then, let's all remember which rock we're standing on here. We're standing on this rock of debauchery. Um, that little rock on the side that I told you about, where it's like, here are all the niches for worship and orgies and everything. And then this is a big rock where the water flows out. That was called the Gates of Hades. And so, like physically, they called it that. So I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, or shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he told his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So this is like a major, major pep talk. I mean, he takes them out of Religiousville into lost, lost, lost Bill. And he says, who am I? You need to know who I am. Simon calls out who he is. He's the restorer of all things. He is the one that ushers in not just healing, but healing of the whole person and the whole people. And he goes, okay, God showed you that. That's right. You don't get that revelation apart from God. So if you're seeing him as this and you're getting to know him, whatever part of you is getting to know him more as healer, God does that. And he says, on this rock I'll build my church. So, he's, I mean, we know this, but it's just worth saying again, he never laid one stone on top of another. He did not intend to have a building campaign for a church. He did not intend for this to be called the church. We are the church. There's just no doubt that to Jesus, we are the church, and this is a building. And, and he said, I will build my church right here, guys, right what you're seeing. And so every little part of them that was afraid of this had to wrestle with that. Every part of them that was offended by what they saw there had to go, what? He's going to build his church here? And maybe they felt really encouraged, like, Look at the radical healing that this guy can do. He's taking this and saying, this is the foundation of my church right here. This is where I'll build it. Um, I mean, I, I think that they could only have just begun to start grappling with that at this moment. And I think we as a church have only begun to start grappling with that and understanding it. But they did somewhere along the way start to really understand this. Because if you read in Acts, this is what happens. I mean, this is the foundation of the church. The, the darkest places become filled with light. The most broken people experience total healing and restoration. It's not, you know, this group is the one, honestly, that struggles more with who Jesus is. This is the group that doesn't quite get it. This is the group that wants to cling to works and laws and man-made traditions rather than unknowing grace and Jesus as Savior. 
of the whole person. Jesus says healer and deliverer of the whole person. This is the group that struggles. This is the group where it's easy. And I think if we even got a little bit of a vision for that, we we would be radically transformed as a group of believers because it's true. Like even praying for healing, it's so it's a little harder in the church. If you're out on the street with people who aren't church, it's easy. I'm not kidding you. If you want to go pray for healing with people and be encouraged that they'll and see like miracles, go pray with people who aren't stuck in their heads in the church about their ideas about who Jesus is as healer. Okay. Let's jump forward. Okay, well, let me just finish here a little bit. Sorry, before I jump forward. After he says that and basically gives this very challenging and empowering lesson at Caesarea Philippi, um, I think some of the most empowering verses are in there about the gates of Hades won't overcome it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you do here on earth shall have been done there. So that's our formula for prayer. Is it happening there? No, it's not happening there, so we bind it here. Is it loosed there? Yes, it's loosed there, so we loose it here. And he says, I'm giving you these keys of the kingdom. So super empowering. But then he says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders. We don't know how to talk about suffering super well. We don't like it, of course. We like to avoid pain. Um, I think this is also something that holds us up from understanding healing. Because you go, well, why am I suffering if the Jesus I'm following is the healer? And, and I think it's just important to look at the Jesus that we are following. I mean, at the same time as he's saying nothing, like the worst things you could think of on earth will actually be the platform for the church. He's saying, and I'm about to go die. And they're going, what? So, again, have grace for yourself in the tension of knowing Jesus as healer. Because the disciples sure did, too. They go, you can't go and die. I mean, Peter goes from, you're the Messiah, to, no, you're not going to die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And I don't think he's talking to Peter, but he's talking to whatever Peter's listening to. He goes, no, you're thinking about things from man's perspective, not from God's. I have to go and do this. And I think that very often Jesus is saying the same thing to us. Like, I know that you're struggling with this. I know that you don't understand. But it's because you're thinking the way that man thinks, not the way that I think. So again, this need for him to heal those parts of us and teach us about the way he thinks about things. Okay, so now let's fast forward to um, Okay, I'm going to skip that. I was going to look at um, John 20, but I think for time's sake I'm going to skip it. Basically, at the end, he dies, and he's resurrected. Um, And Mary is outside the tomb crying, and um, they're all so confused. And to me, it's just encouraging in light of this conversation. The people who walked with him the closest saw him physically do these things, experienced Mary, experienced him freeing him from seven demons, it says. I mean, she, she knows him as healer of a lot of her person, maybe the whole person, and she's, she doesn't know what's happening. And, and I think that's just really encouraging. Um, one of my also favorite verses that I want to just kind of bless y'all with is John 1, 16. And I don't even know how this connects other than it does for me somehow. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. 
And it's talking about, he goes on to say, for the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. If we're looking for the law to come through Jesus, we're not going to find it. So if we're looking for a law about healing to help us understand and know him about the healer, we're not going to find him as healer. We're not going to, it's not going to, it's going to be a warped understanding. Because a law is like back to this Greek way of thinking, like bullet point, okay, here's this, and this is my tidy list. Okay, Jesus did this one, check. He healed cancer, my mom, check. Healed my knee instantly, check. And I'm good to go. But I'm actually an anxious wreck. I'm depressed three-fourths of the year. And I feel like I really have to earn my salvation. Because if he doesn't heal here, it's going to totally rock all my theology. You know, this list will not hold up. It just won't. And that's grace to us. That is grace to us. Because he doesn't want us to know him as the law. He wants us... He, he can only be known through grace because he is grace. He can only be known through real truth because he is the truth. And, and then he even kind of flips it because he's going, okay, you guys love the law and you get caught up on the law. Even when you came into faith through, through grace, then you wanted to make it about works in the law. Um, he says in John 1, this is why I love this verse about grace on, up on top of grace. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. What he's talking about is that this was grace already given. But, but if we make it about the law, then it becomes dead. It was grace in the beginning, and then, and then he came and gave grace on top of grace already given. So... In Scripture, as you're seeking him out throughout the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament, it's all grace. And, and at the end of the day, when we're talking about healing, we need to, I think the only place that we start to really access him as healer is from a place of grace and truth. Jesus, what's the truth? I really do want to know you. If you are healer, I want to know that part of you. And I, I'm saying this part just from life experience for me there have been a couple moments that are like life-defining moments that I can look back on. One was when I was 19, and I knew so much about God, but I was very, very tired of, of trying to figure out my faith. I was really probably walking in a lot of law here. And um, I remember just going like, God, I'll give you anything. Like, I'll give up everything in my life, but I'm so tired of following you, and I can't do it like this anymore. Like, I'll, I'll give it all up for you, but I'm, I'm just done trying so hard. And he so sweetly whispered, good. I'm so glad. Like, it's about time. And, um, but, but at that point, I also had these questions, like, that, that really did circle around that, are you who you say you are, God? And I had one of the, my big questions was on healing. Are you really a healer? Do you really heal hearts? Because I've only known you as someone that I would pray when somebody's sick that they would be healed. I have not known you intimately as healer of my heart. And my heart has aches. And then, so first of all, those questions started for me about inner healing. And reading about it and hearing people's stories about God talking to them in their places of wounding. And I was like, what? I'd never experienced that. And, and some of you may be going, that's great and I believe in that, but what? 
what are you talking about? I just think that's such a great place to be, to be able to honestly say, I don't know that side of you, Jesus. I want to know you. And then maybe five years later, or not five years later, but it was kind of intertwined. But as I'm on this journey going, God, I want to know you. If you are an inner healer, I need to know that side of you. I want to know it. I then also started saying, are you a physical healer? Do you physically heal bodies, really? Um, and that, that's led me, for sure, I think our honest questions lead us into our, our destiny, who we are. Um, and that, I mean, now my life is made up of that. And I never would have gone then, hey, I'm going to do this. for. But then when you, the places where we really know Jesus become the places that we pour out from. You know, it's the only place we actually have authority is the places that we're authentic and that we're honest and that we get to know him, then you don't even have to try. From those places will flow rivers of living water from your belly. It's from who you are. Um, So all my fears about who I would become were ridiculous. You know, we become who we are. And so this is such an important question to go, um, if if you at some point during this talk when I was asking about which parts of you know him as healer and which parts of you don't, if there was that thing in you that go, I don't know him, please stick with that. Please don't deny that or ignore that. Go, yeah, I, I actually don't know you as healer in this area because that's such a fertile ground to know him in that area. It's basically you saying yes to an invitation that he's giving you today where he exposes something. He only does it to bring healing. So, um, let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you are grace. And this whole conversation, for you, I know, is an invitation. It's not a condemnation. It's not, um, it's not something that you're going, hey, you, you guys have really missed this. It's you going, I'm inviting you to know me. This isn't just an idea about you. This is an invitation into intimacy. To know you as rabbi. To be a follower who actually does the things that you did. To know you as healer of the whole person. It's all just a sweet invitation. And I do pray that for each one of us, wherever we need that invitation in our heart in our life, in our families, in our physical world, that you would just very clearly show us the invitation that you're giving us into a conversation with you, into new understanding of you. And just like the disciples, Lord, let us not be afraid to go somewhere that we thought we were not supposed to be. Let us not, if if you lead us there, let us not be afraid to go there and let us not be afraid to have real and honest conversations. I pray that you would also do a great work in the midst of us where we look back in a year and go, wow, I know him in a way that I never knew him before as healer. And I know myself in a way that I never knew myself before as healer also, because he's healer.
Thank you, Lord. We love you. And I do also, lastly, just if there's anyone in this room struggling with anxiety that's overwhelming, that brings shortness of breath and feels like an attack, Lord, will you just bring radical release today? Will you set the captives free? Will you deliver them and sozo them from that right now? Would you speak really tenderly to those places that need truth? And will you remind them that they are not anxious? They are a child of God. That you did not have any anxiety to give them when you made them. And anxiety can leave them. In Jesus' name. <laughs> yeah, if anybody needs prayer, um, Ann and Ashley will be up here, and I'll be up here too. <laughs>